Well, I bring you greetings again, and here it is, Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this beautiful and blessed uh, weekend. Uh, we pray that you would help us to always surrender our plans for the day to you. We understand that our lives are in your hands. And Father, we pray that you would go before us today and every day to keep the enemy at bay. May you meet the needs of everyone hearing this and bring them closer to you. These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. It, as I've said earlier, it's Pentecost Sunday and... Our scripture this morning is an account of that first Pentecost. It's found in Acts, the second chapter. We'll be reading the first through the 21st verses. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pomphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness 
and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word at this time. I'd like to begin today by asking you two questions. First, what would you say if someone were to ask you if you think that we're living in the last days? How would you answer that? Next question, if we are living in the last days, does that mean that God's only purpose for our day is just a bleak, downward spiral of calamity and moral collapse till the end when the Lord returns? Now, let me show you the answer to the first question by quoting several passages from the Bible. First, Hebrews, the first chapter, the first and the second verses. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son. And then in 1 Peter, uh, the first chapter, the 20th verse, Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest at the last of the times for your sake. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, these things happened to them as a warning, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. And now hear the words of our Lord from Luke, the 21st chapter, the 8th through the 11th verses. And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in the various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now then, hear these words of Paul in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, the first through the fifth verses. But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such people as these. Now you see, in all these different passages, the last days came when Jesus came. The coming of the Messiah was the beginning of the end, the beginning of the last days. Now this is what our main passage I read earlier says as well. In Acts 2, 15 through 17, Peter says that the commotion caused by 120 people praising God in many different languages 
is not owing to drunkenness, but to the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in chapter 2. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter's answer to our first question would have been, absolutely, we're now living in the last days. And this is Paul's answer to the question, uh, and also uh, the answer of Hebrews and John's answer. In fact, uh, John in the second chapter of 1 John, 18th verse, he says, children, it is the last hour. And so this should be our answer too. Yes, we are living in the last days because the last days began with the first coming of Jesus. And they're going to reach their climax at the second coming of Jesus. So we're actually living between the beginning of the last days and the end of the last days, but we are in the last days. We live between the beginning of the kingdom of God and the consummation of the kingdom of God. So let's ask now our second question. Does the Bible teach that as the end of the last days draws near, spiritual conditions will only get worse and worse and physical conditions only get worse and worse? 2 Timothy 3.3 says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, and it goes on. And Peter 3.3 says, Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own passion and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? And Jesus in Luke 2, uh, and I'm sorry, Luke 21, 9 through 11, when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for this must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. There's no doubt that at the end of the end, the last of the last days, it's going to be bleak. It's going to be bleak in many ways. It's going to be morally bleak. It's going to be socially bleak with great upheavals in nature itself. And the thing is, there's more to the story. This isn't all we can expect before Jesus comes. Let me show you why. Beginning in Matthew, the 24th chapter, the 9th and the 14th verses, and then turning uh, back to our text in the second chapter of Acts, Matthew um, 24, 9 through 14. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, 
Most men's love will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, notice something remarkable here. Because of wickedness or lawlessness, because that is multiplied, the love of many will grow cold. And let's face it, lawlessness or wickedness in all its forms are rampant right now. Just turn on the TV and you can see it. Jesus says that because of this, the hearts of many will grow cold. But notice this, he doesn't say that everyone's heart will grow cold. In fact, it's implicit here that alongside this coldness of love, there's another group of people whose passion for Jesus is red hot and unshakable. This is implicit in verse 14. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Now that's the very nations that according to verse 9 will hate the disciples. So who's going to preach this kingdom to every nation before the end? Who's going to be committed enough and strong enough in the face of violent persecution to finish the Great Commission? Well, you know the answer if you've been listening with us for the last couple of weeks because we've been talking about this. These kind of people are described in Acts 1-5, Acts 1-8, and Acts 2-17. First, Acts 1-5. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in 1-8, he defines the aim of that baptism more fully. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then when Jesus baptizes them in the Holy Spirit and they receive that extraordinary power of witness on that day of Pentecost that we celebrate right now, Peter says it is what Joel has prophesied for the last days. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So the point is this. In the last days, in the days that began with the coming of Jesus, God's purpose is to empower his people with extraordinary outpourings of the Holy Spirit until the gospel has reached every place on earth. You see, the love of many will grow cold. Yes, there will be apostasy on a large scale, just like we're seeing today. Yes, people will simply forsake the faith when the world turns up the heat. But in the midst of all that unbelief and coldness and treachery, Jesus says that the gospel will be preached through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. In the face of all that persecution and in the midst of the whole uh, 
deadness of the world, the true church of God is going to have extraordinary power, extraordinary zeal, extraordinary passion and love for Jesus. The end of the last days will not be totally bleak and it will not be totally glorious. In the midst of great stress and global trauma and bloody persecution, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the faithful, confessing church of Jesus Christ, and she will burn with passion, and she will shine with truth until every people and every tribe and every tongue has seen the light of the gospel. Joel's prophecy that Peter quotes in Acts 2, 17 through 21, makes it clear that the last days will be mixed days, days of powerful witness and days of terrible calamity. When Joel looked into the future, God didn't tell him how many years were going to separate the different parts of the last days he was describing. He saw the last days as all one piece. Some of what he saw was near to the beginning of the last days, and some was nearer to the end of the last days. So when you read his prophecy, as you can see, it has two parts. It has a bright part and a dark part. The bright part is verses 17 and 18. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yea, and on my men servants and on my maid servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In other words, Joel says that one feature of the last days will be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on people of every kind, Men and women, young and old, high and low, God's people will be clothed with power. They'll receive power. And the main effect of this power will be speaking confidently about Jesus. Believers of all kinds are going to be so gripped by the Spirit of God and by His presence and by His love that they're going to see the greatness of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus with extraordinary clarity and speak with extraordinary boldness. That's the bright part of Joel's prophecy. Now, the dark part is in verses 19 through 20. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire, vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. In other words, there will be natural catastrophes. There will be war and bloodshed. There will be conflagration, disease, and devastation. It's just like today. Let's face it, we're living in the last days. So what is the answer to our second question? Is God's purpose for our day only a bleak downward spiral of calamity and moral collapse until it's all over? No. On the contrary, there's a promise 
that in the last days his Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, on all kinds of people, on all the nations, and they're all going to be reached. The true church of Christ will be awakened and revived and sent with extraordinary passion and zeal and prophetic power. And right in the midst of terrorism and war and persecution and pestilence and natural disasters, the flaming end-time church of Christ will finish the Great Commission and will welcome their King. Brothers and sisters, I want to be a part of that bright, bold, prophetic, Christ-exalting, risk-taking, end-time band of disciples taking the clear and glorious message of verse 21 everywhere, no matter what. Here are the words of that message. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. On the day of Pentecost, that was a welcome message to many. And as we look around and we see the way things are today, as people are fearful, it's a great message. It's a well-received message by many. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So you see, whenever people look around and they look at the news and they look at the COVID-19 outbreak and they see the riots and they ask you, do you think we're in the last days? You can confidently reply, yes. All of these things that you're talking about, just let us know that the Bible is true. It's written right here. And that means that it's still very true that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, how about you? Have you called upon his name? If you have, then you know that his word is true because he's kept his promise and his Holy Spirit is within you, giving you peace and confidence in the middle of all this craziness that we're in right now. If not, if you're living fearfully, why not do it now? Why not call upon the name of the Lord and become a part of that happy, confident throng that knows the Lord's peace and presence? Isn't this a good time? Could there be a better time than this? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we bow before you at this time, there are some that are listening that have been fearful and they have been afraid to call upon you and yet they know that your presence brings peace and that it brings a joy and that it brings power for living in these last days. And so, Lord, I pray that all those listening who haven't heard that they could just call upon you, call upon the name of the Lord, call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. I pray that they will do it right now. 
that they'll just say, Jesus, help me. I need you. Come into my life. I need you right now. And Lord, I pray that you will honor that prayer and pour your spirit upon them. And Lord, those who already know you, who have already called upon your name and have been filled with your Holy Spirit, just redouble your spirit in them and grant them a boldness and a joy in sharing this good news of the gospel, which is good news now more than ever. In the name of Jesus, amen.